Welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are done with game two. It was a 4-2 loss for the Matildas to Sweden. We had a Sam Kerr double, which we love to see, but then goals to Fridolina Rolfo. One of them was absolutely spectacular. Uh, Lena Hertig and Stina Blackstenius made sure that Sweden took home the three points and are basically guaranteed of going through to the next stage. But we're not here to talk that much about the Swedes. We're here to talk about the Tillies. So let's crack into some match chat. It's me, Marissa Lordanik, Sam Lewis, Anna Harrington and Angela Christian Wilkes. There's a lot to cover with this game because it feels like this game literally had just about everything. But we need to start with something that I'm going to put a content warning on because it may hurt you if you are a long-term Matildas fan, particularly if you were paying any attention to the 2019 World Cup. Um yeah, so let's talk about it. Sam Kerr's missed penalty. We're going to get it done out of the way now so then we can focus on other things. It hurt. It really, really hurt, okay? Sam, I know you wrote about it for The Guardian, so do you want to take us through the Sam Kerr missed penalty? Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, was anyone else just sitting there watching that camera zoom into Sam Kerr's face and just getting PTSD flashbacks to that moment in Nice where time seemed to go for infinity as we were waiting for Kerr to take that penalty? I was I was not confident when I saw that it was Kerr stepping up to take the pen. I'm not sure... I mean, obviously she was on a hat trick, right? So the team would have been like, of course, you're the, you're our captain, you're our leader, you take that. And in my Guardian analysis piece, I wrote about the the, the real weight of that responsibility for, for Kerr now. You know, she has already been through that moment before when she missed that penalty in 2019. It sort of had a domino effect on the penalty takers after her, which saw us get knocked out of the tournament. And it, it sort of felt like it had a similar effect in this game as well. That, that penalty moment was at, at a point of the game where the Matildas were starting to surge back after going down. Had, had Kerr scored, she would have equalised. And I think the game would have turned a little bit, much more into the Matildas' favour. But she missed. And it sort of felt like it was exactly the same sort of draining effect as what it had in 2019 and and everything just fell apart from there and Sweden came back and scored again and Kerr had that one-on-one opportunity with Hedvig Lindahl sort of towards the end of the match but she just didn't have the the confidence to be to put that away you just saw that she didn't believe that she could do it so yeah it was like I was sitting there like sort of experiencing another kind of trauma and just going through those memories in my head because we were all there in that stadium on that night and we we felt the air sucked out of the that big cavernous space when she absolutely skied that penalty over the crossbar so yeah it wasn't great um but that that moment and I think the the result doesn't really befit what I thought was probably the Matilda's best performance under Tony so far, particularly against a team like Sweden, who after this and after their result against the USA are probably starting to become favourites maybe for for a gold medal. Um, I thought the first half and at least probably the first hour of the Matilda's game against Sweden was maybe their best of the whole tournament and probably the best that we've seen. they seemed to put together a lot of the kinds of experiments that Gustafsson had been doing over the course of the friendlies. The formation seemed to work, but at the same time, Sweden looked a little bit off the pace. So, I mean, I think we were really competitive and it was really exciting to watch up until, you know, the moment. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a good positive sign that we can take into the USA game. 
Yeah, it was interesting listening to Tony in the post-match and Kai Simon, who were up in the presser. They were super positive. Like, it was clearly they looked at it as a missed opportunity. Um, Gustafsson was clearly talking about how um, much they thought they should have won the game. There was a missed opportunity. They should have got at least a point. They thought they should have won. They're like, in every key stat, uh, talking to our analysts, we should have won the game, which I always think it's somewhere in between, you know? Like, there's the totally nihilistic approach of, we were bossed by Sweden, which I don't think is accurate. And then there's the, we should have won the game and we dominated Sweden, which is what Tony Gustafsson said. And I think it sort of probably falls somewhere in, in the middle. Um, but I'll come back just to the Kerr penalty. It, I think it is worth touching on because, as you said, Sam, we've seen her. She's had a really rough run. She buried that one against Vietnam, but bar that has had penalties saved or had ones where she's had them saved and buried them on the rebound. Um, it's a difficult one going forward because... What approach do you take? We don't have that many experienced penalty takers. I know Emily Van Egmon took them for a while, but then stopped around the Asian Cup um, in 2018. Uh, we saw Chloe Legazzo miss one against Vietnam. Um, we've seen Kai Simon and Steph Catley take them at club level. Like There's not a consistent penalty taker um, or consistent penalty scorer, rather. Um, and I remember even talking about this uh, with Ante Milicic after Chloe Legazzo missed one in Vietnam and he sort of lamented that not enough of our players were taking them at club level at the time. Our players, were, A lot of our players were playing W League, but W League clubs would have their foreigners, for example, like a Natasha Dowie taking spot kicks, so our players weren't getting enough experience. But this long-winded talk about penalty leads to what is the approach going forward? Because if Sam Kerr wants to take the penalties you can't really say no, can you? Like, it's a it's a difficult one. She's the leader, um, not just in terms of wearing the armband, but a leader in the dressing room, a leader of the group. She'd already scored two goals. And if your striker wants to back herself to take the penalties, you kind of have to let her, don't you? Unless it, it seems like until Sam Kerr says, I don't want to take penalties, can you take them off her? I, I, I don't think you can unless she says, I think Emily Van Egmond or Steph Catley or Tamika Yelp or whoever is better place to take them. And I'm interested in your guys' thoughts on this. What, what is the solution with penalties? Angela? I feel like if like a, a leader in that situation would possibly be a bit reflective of their capacity to score penalties and maybe come pick someone else at this point I think I I understand probably there's a a need for you know you've missed penalties you want to go back and prove yourself and prove that you can do it to yourself and to everyone around you but I I wonder at what point you sort of let that go and maybe look at what the best alternative is Um, additionally I I don't know how things work at professional level but surely a a coach would step in at one at some point and look to address that situation as well Um, because yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think it's fair for someone to keep missing penalties just because they're the captain or they're the best striker. And I think it's an interesting, it's interesting that it happened after that Brazil win. Um, so they won 5-0 over China and Marta actually gave the penalty to the penalty to Andressa when she was sitting on a hat trick and she made a whole thing about it being like you share this around and it's a team responsibility and I thought that was interesting. Um, I, I'm not necessarily overly critical of Sam for taking the penalty, but I think it's just at this point, we yeah, we do need to be looking at other options and um, working on that because it's a massive blind spot. Like that could have tipped the game and changed it in a, in a big way. And it didn't. Uh, but yeah, and I also just want to note that um, I think Sam, maybe you touched on this, but like Lindahl's save was 
incredible. She reminded me of a, do you remember that game Quop? Yeah. Quop, yes. Oh my God. With the, and you have to, yeah. she looked and you like, have to use the, your keyboard to like maneuver all the body parts of the, of the runner. Yes. It looked like she was being controlled by a very competent Quop player. It just, I, I feel like, again, I'm, I'm drawing comparisons to very visual things, but um, yeah, that was an incredible save. But again, it was also not a fantastic pen taken. I feel like I've dithered a little bit. Um, I've only had two coffees and no water and no food this morning. Great match day, perhaps. But anyway, <laughs> Sam, what do you think? Do you, do you let Sam take the pens? Well, I mean, I, I have to, I mean, sorry to bring men's football into this podcast, but I think back to the, the final of the recent Euros between England and Italy and the three English penalty takers who all missed or had their penalties saved. Gareth Southgate said after the match that in training, those players were the best penalty takers. They were the ones who were slamming them home. And it's just that because they had them saved on the world stage in front of everybody, it looks like it was a bad choice to put them up in the first place. And so I, I have to, I think, extend that same, um, that same perhaps understanding to Kerr in this situation, like maybe in training, because they would obviously be practicing penalties for moments like this and for when they get to, hopefully if they get to the knockout stages as well and games have to be decided, they would be practicing this. And maybe in those training environments, Kerr is absolutely banging them away and everyone does have a lot of confidence in her. But I think that there, there still is perhaps something to be said for being able to deliver in a high pressure moment like that. And we are starting to see her struggling to do that. And I do think there needs to be a point at which someone says, okay, we need to make a decision here. We need to choose someone else, perhaps someone who doesn't have the weight of the entire world or of, of even the entire nation on her shoulders, someone who is able to you know consistently do this thing that we are asking them to do and not make our captain and our leader and someone who is already a fantastic player probably one of the best players Australia's ever produced feel like she is not enough in those moments because I think that she is a big confidence player and when she has consecutive failures like that that we all sit here and talk about and we all deconstruct it I think that starts to play on the mind a little bit. Yeah, Sam, I I like that point about the pressure on Sam Kerr and it actually relates back to, I was obviously debriefing with a friend of the pod, Tom, last night about this and we hate bringing up the men's game, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's relevant here. Uh, I like the idea of taking the pressure off and you see in the men's game some of the best penalty takers that I've personally seen in Australian men's football, Miller Yednak. Midfielder. Mark Milligan, midfielder slash defender. Kevin Musket, bar one grand final. Like, defender bangs in penalties. And sometimes that can be exactly the sort of player you need. Um, I will also just mention Kerr's quotes to Channel 7 after because I think it's only fair to actually see how Sam Kerr reacted um, of, to the penalty. She said, it's just unfortunate. I thought it was actually a really good save. Maybe not the best pen, but that's football. I'm obviously disappointed. I apologise to the girls. But at the end of the day, that's football and I'll bounce back. So yeah, nobody would be feeling it more than Sam Kerr in that moment. And credit to her for fronting up in an interview afterwards, as she did after that loss to Norway at the World Cup. Um, and I do like to lean on that quote from Ante Milicic about, you know, only big players miss penalties because small ones don't take them. But 
in terms of <clears throat> where to now, clearly it's got to be a conversation that's had with Sam Kerr. If she's apologising for missing a penalty, I imagine she is thinking about that. Whether it's decided that another player takes them going forward or it's Sam Kerr and she can override these mental demons, clearly there's got to be like a collaborative effort here and I've got no doubt there will be. And most importantly, I think we've got to have a consistent penalty taker going forward. We've got to decide who it is and that's just got to be done. This is our penalty taker. Whether it's Emily Van Egmond, whether it's Sam Kerr, whether it's Steph Kelly, I could name whatever players that banks on the penalty. Clearly we need to have that because we haven't had enough consistency in that space. And as you said before, Sam, when push comes to shove and the big moments come up, we saw it with Mila Yedinak time and time again for the Socceroos. You want to feel confident. You want to, one, know who's going to step up and take it. I think that actually breeds confidence, knowing that you have a set penalty taker. And you want to feel confident they're going to take it. And uh, once again, it comes back to we need these players taking more penalties at club level and breeding confidence there. Because, I mean, Sam Kerr was taking them in the W League, but she clearly doesn't take them for Chelsea. Marin Melder usually does. And I don't think many of our players... Even when we had that Melbourne City season where they had so many Matildas, it seemed to vary which Matilda was taking pens. There was one game where Kaya Simon and Steph Catley each took one and both missed. Like, we need to get a penalty taker that we know is going to be the one to step up. They're not always going to do the job, but you want to at least know who it is. And I think whether it's Sam Kerr, I don't know, but I think we need some certainty going forward. That just reminded me, actually, one of my earliest memories of covering the W League was um, a victory Perth game where Sam Kerr missed a penalty and a friend of the pod, Cheryl Downs, interviewed her after the game and was like, what would you have done differently? And Sam was like, I would have not missed the penalty. Anyway, I just thought that was, you know, so it's, it's an ongoing theme. Um, but, yes, God bless her. Um, and, yeah, hopefully we can get consistency. I think consistency is key and important for everyone, fans, Scarred fans included. We'd just like to take a moment to touch on the fact that, geez, how sensational was Sam Kerr apart from that, though? Like, two goals, like, at the right time. That header where she's beat Magdalena Eriksson, and I, I actually was, when I was Googling, looking for stuff post-match, it looks like she spoke to one of the Swedish outlets and was like, Magda's not going to be happy with me. Because she's absolutely out-muscled her in the air, scored with a bullet header, and then I also enjoyed, and the second goal was particularly funny because you see her float between the two defenders, that Caitlin Ford little cross comes in, she scores, and then you just see all these Sweden defenders, um, Ericsson and her fellow centre-back, look at each other, and then it pans to someone in the midfield, and they're all like, what the fuck? No, you had it. You had it. What is that? How have we let Sam Kerr drift between two of us to score another header? Um, it was pretty sensational. She should have had a penalty awarded um, that criminally was one not given two not properly reviewed by VAR because she gets clipped by glass. Kerr was like, I was going real fast, felt a touch, but, you know, whatever. But, like, clearly should have had a penalty, was influential throughout, combined beautifully. We saw that connection with Caitlin Ford come back, which is something I think we've been screaming for. We saw Kaya Simon um, put in that beautiful ball to it. And Simon actually post-match was talking about, I guess, what a privilege it is for her to play with two such brilliant strikers as Ford and Kerr. And it Angela, you touched on it last week, but it is a real credit to Kaya Simon, the way she has bounced back and become such an influential part of that forward mix again. Okay, fantastic. Ford just looked dynamite when she could get on the ball. And 
yeah, Kaya Simon has, has to go close to player of the match. Clearly she was in their eyes because they brought her in for the press conference, but she just seems to be getting better and better. And it, it's super exciting for a player who's just hit 30, has had so many injuries, has had, you know, lapses in form at time, clearly related to injuries um, for club and country, drifted between forward and midfield. But now she seems firmly embedded in this front three or forward mix under Tony Gustafsson, and she seems to be thriving. It's a real credit to her. Just on that Kaya Simon ball as well, it was absolutely stunning. And I don't know how many people might remember this, but Kaya Simon and Sam Kerr used to play together at Sydney FC. And one of Sam Kerr's greatest ever W League goals was a diving header off the back of a very, very similar Kaya Simon curling cross from just from the opposite side of the field. And so I, I like, as soon as I saw that ball coming in, I saw where it was heading. I was like, oh my God, this is like, it's history repeating. This is amazing. Yeah, I, I agree. I am so happy to be wrong when it comes to Kaya Simon because she has just been fabulous over the last two games. She maybe sort of faded towards the, the back end of this game. Um, but then so did a lot of the other players on the team. Um, but, yeah, no, she, she's been sensational. She's, she's getting her touch back. She's getting her confidence back. She's rekindling those connections that she has formed with these players over the years at, at both club and national team level. And she seems to really just be up for it. Like we spoke about it after the New Zealand game. When she's on, she is absolutely on. And she's the kind of player that Gustafsson sort of describes, I guess, as a game changer because you can just, just one moment like that where she clips that ball in perfectly for Kerr, that shifted things so dramatically for the Matildas in this Sweden game. So it's it's wonderful that 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 Gustafsson has enough confidence in Simon, despite coming off a pretty rocky club season, to give her these opportunities because now she's like she's starting to repay that, and we're all benefiting. And she wasn't in those early friendlies either. Um, I'm pretty sure just because of dealing with injuries and that sort of thing. And, but anyway, I, I think it's worth touching on what Kai Simon actually had to say because she got asked about this combination and, excuse my, this is going to be a rough otter transcription, but I think it captures the essence of what she said. Um, but obviously, all three of them, Ford, Kerr and Simon, now how each other played and they have for so long. And she actually said credit to Tony. He's really given us that freedom to express ourselves in the front third and combine and be fluid with each other. And I think that's when we play our best football allows us to be free in our minds, go out there and just play, combine, be as dangerous as they can. Um, and she said just obviously just emphasise how much she enjoys playing alongside them and said that they're a joy to, to play with. So I think that gives a little bit of an insight into how Tony's approached them. Just let them do their thing. Let them combine. They know each other's game. And I think that's a bit of an underrated factor with Simon as well. We talk so much about um, Karen Ford knowing each other's game sort of inside out but as you reference with that ball from the, their time at Sydney FC uh Sam Kai Simon and Sam Kerr have been playing together for a long time too they played together at that Asian Cup win they were playing together at club level they would know each other's games well too so it's very exciting I I think that's the goal scoring was something that I think we wanted to see get better and better across these games and if this front three or combination of players can continue to to build then it's super super exciting and then you see Mary Fowler come off the bench and she should have had an assist because Sam Kerr probably should have put that ball away. It's exciting. That's what we want to see. We want to see some free-flowing attack. It wasn't predictable. It's not just whipping in crosses from out wide. It's, it's a bit of everything. And uh, I think that was something that was really exciting. Against Sweden, who are a top defence, they kept the USA goalless. 
We scored two, should have scored at least three. And I think that's super exciting. I was going to say, I just wanted to pump up like Caitlin Ford's crossing for Sam Kerr's goal because that was uh, sublime. I, and exactly what you were saying, Anna, um, the two of them pairing up and connecting was so fantastic to see. And I think um, referring back to our favourite shit poster, Burke as well, she <laughs> tweeted and she was like, uh, at least we've scored against Sweden. You guys can't say that. And I was like, <clears throat> yeah, true, true. That, that is indeed true. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you've, you've both said. But, um, no, I think one of the the front three really did highlight, as you mentioned, Harriet, that freedom, that ability to kind of switch around into play, create unpredictability because you didn't know who was going to be out wide, who was going to be central, and I think that's something that we've now seen over two games that really works. So big fan of that. Also a big fan of the opening 20 minutes where we were just so good defensively. We looked incredible. And I know Sam said it, we looked awesome. And then Sweden scored. We do have to discuss the kind of defensive lapses that led to Sweden scoring four. So Angela, I know you had thoughts on the defence. So please, the floor is now yours. Um, I think, yeah, what we saw in that game was a distinct lack of fastest fuckboy in the defensive line and um I think that we can put a lot of that those goals down to that unfortunately um big fan of Louis big fan of Polkinghorn but I don't think I'm an outlier when I say that they're not the fastest center backs and I'm wondering who is that person that we can put in a scenario like that where we've got a very composed center back who can read the line direct and that sort of thing and have someone who can clean up and and you know shield in those situations where someone like for example where Engeldahl passed this beautiful ball through to Jakobsen, who just like, just, she was gone and um, turned Lewick for speed and then crossed into Hertig. And it was just, it was a really great goal from Hertig and not a lot that I think Ellie Carpenter could have done. I think she did everything she could in that situation to try and prevent that. But it was, yeah, it was just moments like that um, where I feel like we're, we're exposed. Um, and yeah, I'm just nervous. I'm like, who's going to be, who, what do we do? How do we fix this? I don't know. Anna, do you have thoughts? I've been coming from the Matildas since, so, say, 2014, 2015. And it's, it's the same question now, six, seven years on. Like, who is that centre back? Like, because clearly, if you move Steph Catley in there, she has the pace, she has the nows. But the elephant touch for the first goal, which is very, very rare, where she, She's turned it over and I think Aslani's the one that's pounced and put it out to Jakobsen and then it's bye. Um, I, clearly, we need a centre-back who's got pace, who can deal with those sorts of attacks because, yeah, like there are, as you mentioned, Angela, there are at least two goals that were just due to being completely outpaced, like getting absolutely burnt off. Um, and it, it just raises it again. I don't know if, say, if Carly Rothback had been fit, if, they look at her as a centre-back option or as an out-wide option, a full-back, wing-back option, so Steph Catley can come inside. But we saw in those earlier friendlies where it was a lot more defensive and Catley and Carpenter tucked in more and obviously would have covered things in terms of pace a bit more. But, yeah, it's, it is the big hole there. Like, <laughs> you can't look past it. You can't watch this game and not see that the gaping hole is a centre-back with some speed. As you say, Ivy Lewick, 36 years old, great player on the ball, but lacks height and lacks speed. 
um, two not so ideal things against Sweden is my thoughts. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just that glaring hole. And it's like we've talked before about can Emma Checker step up? She's yet to do so because she's sort of that centre-back that has some pace and athleticism, can be prone to a clangor, still needs to clearly develop her game. What young centre-backs and up-and-coming? We, we need to clearly find someone to fill that gap because it, it was where we got caught out. Um, we look at the Rolfo second goal where she hit an absolute banger. I think that was just everyone had backed off and she's gone, oh, okay, cool, guess I'll just smack it then. And that's exactly what she did. Tegan Micah got a hand to it, but there wasn't too much she could do. It was that powerful. But, yeah, I think it just exposed that we need that. And I don't know if if we stay with this sort of combination of centre-backs, whether we look to bring someone pacier into midfield to screen, um, whether it's we've seen Yellow play at the six before. We know Chloe Legazzo is quick. Like, I'm not sure exactly what the answer is, but clearly there, there needs to be more pace. And that was, I think, pretty glaring. Um, we don't have many centre-backs with pace. That's that's the, the crux of it, I guess. My question is also, like, are we developing any centre-backs? I'm all in for Carly Rossback and being our next centre-back, I think. I mean, I'm not sure, like you said, Anna, if there's anyone else who really stands out in that department right now. But, yeah, and as you said, it's been a question for so long. Like, where, where are the centre-backs and how are we going to... Uh, make more sense backs I don't know I'm um, also I thought maybe in this game as well we talked about it last pod but wasn't any mongrel there's the mongrel bringing a bit of the mongrel I don't know if that's going to fix anything or if that's just me liking to watch the drama unfold when you put on a really physical defender actually no say speaking of that didn't Alana Kennedy do an oopsie she did an oopsie yeah maybe mm, okay maybe we don't need more mongrel I'll keep my mouth shut Sam. Yeah, I, how Alana Kennedy did not get a red card for stomping on Black Stenius, I will never know. Um, the refereeing, I thought, throughout the game was a little bit questionable. We mentioned a couple of potential VAR moments that should have been called, potential penalties. But anyway, that aside, speaking of defenders, yeah, it is sort of the age-old question when it comes to the Matildas. And when we look at the players who are being developed, Angela, to, to your point, they are coming through. It's just that at the moment they're still so young. They're, they're still, you know, uh, let's not, younger than 20 years old is sort of the next really quality centre-backs that we've got um, being produced through the national team channels. So, I mean, when I think about how in the, in the very immediate short term, how do we fix this problem? Because we know that the USA have very quick, wide players. They have a Tobin Heath, they have a Kristen Press, they have an Alex Morgan. So they have a lot of pace. And so we need to be able to find a way to address this problem now. And if I, if I put my Gustafsson hat on, my immediate thought is to bring Steph Catley back into the back line. I know that it means that we are going to sacrifice some attacking momentum and some width and her fantastic crossing ability. But I think the performance from Ford, from Simon, from Kerr and from Rasso in, in the New Zealand game, I think that at least gives us a bit more momentum going forward without the requirements of a Catley and a Carpenter. I think coming into the USA game, particularly if it's a game that we need to get a point in, which may not be the case, and we'll sort of address that later in terms of permutations across the other groups. But if it is a game that we do need to get a point in, I think we need to play more defensively. We need to be bringing Carpenter and Catley 
into that back three and then having a back five that can really shore up that defence and keep those wide, really quick USA wingers quiet. That's the only answer that I can find in amongst the squad that we have because, as Harry mentioned, the dedicated centre-backs that we have, Polkinghorne, Kennedy and Laura Brock, are just not quick enough. And I love Ivy Lewick, but she, I think, is better utilised as a defensive midfielder. And we saw towards the back end of the Sweden game when Australia converted to that back four when Kennedy came on, our midfield was just completely overrun. And we didn't have that screening number six there because Van Egmond was already exhausted from having to do so much work in the midfield as well. Kara Cooney-Cross is not really a defensive midfielder. And we just there was just this huge gap that opened up there. So... Yeah, I think there's some interesting tactical decisions that Gustafsson's going to have to make um, heading into the USA game. But I think the pieces are there. It's just whether or not he's brave enough to use them that way. Agreed, Sam. But he's tested it out already across friendlies. Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter tucking in, and that's why you do it. I think we talked about this last pod. You test this stuff out so that you can feel confident when you have to implement it. And, yeah, it, it is going to be a bit of robbing Peter to pay Paul, but I think Steph Catley... I feel most confident with as a centre-back, if you're going to have one of them gunning forward, use that Ellie Carpenter engine. I mean, I love Steph Catley's left foot. It's sensational and she's such a great fullback. But when push comes to shove, you, I think you've got to have her in the mix of that front three on that, sorry, in that back three as the left-sided player. Like she's quick, she's smart, she plays the ball well. She's not so strong in the air, but that is Slightly less of a problem against the USA. You can rely on Polkinghorne and Co. when, say, a Lindsay Horan drifts forward. And I'm already scared of thinking about these things. But we also need to have someone who can cover those pacier forwards. You mentioned Kristen Press as one that I think is probably the best example. Because if they shift her central and we have Ivy Lewick and Claire Polkinghorne, it's, yeah, see ya. <laughs> it's fast as fuck, boy. <laughs> and it doesn't end well for us. So... I think that's probably where it's going to lie, Sam. And I can see us getting some more midfield cover in there as well because we know that they have players that love to make those runs. Um, I'd mentioned Haran before. We know that Roosevelt can score goals. Like Even when Juliet's pushes up into set pieces, she's dangerous with a header as well. So we have to get that combination of smarts, height, strength and pace. And I think the best way to get that combination is to is to have Steph Catley there providing a bit of that pace and athleticism to go with, I guess, the more brute force of our other centre-backs. And I also want to also be curious to see if Alana Kennedy starts um, because I think we are going to need more established centre-backs in there, as I mentioned, with all these aerial options. Because I don't want to see Ivy Lewitt going toe-to-toe with Lindsay Horan in, a, in an aerial duel. It's just not going to end well for us. Every time you guys are like, we can go, we've got to put Steph back, my brain is like, no, we're having so much more attacking. No. Anyway, um, that's, that's how my brain processes things. Also, I'm wondering for, for you guys, actually, one thing, Anna, I feel like there's been a missed opportunity here. You, you're usually the one with the number puns and you haven't made the point that this was a fortuitous scoreline. Fortuitous? Fortuitous scoreline. Haha, <laughs> sorry. Um, That's very good, Angela. I think you've probably had a job. Damn. Oh. <laughs> anyway, fortuitous. Yeah, there you go. Fortuitous scoreline. Um, I'm interested in you guys' thoughts on player rotation. Because this starting 11 was like 
pretty much the same apart from Micah going in for lids. And I just, it was interesting to see for the US when they played Sweden, that Sweden, when they played New Zealand, that they like completely changed their starting 11. And obviously they had the depth to do so, but I don't know, in these sort of tournaments, it's such a quick turnaround between games. And I'm wondering if people are going to be a bit, a bit poised, like, like going into the game against the US. It's a difficult one. We were talking about this before the pod. Um, with the third game, our game's actually the first one on Tuesday. So we can't actually look at how, say, China go or how Japan go in their respective games and say, oh, we're going through. Let's rest Claire Polking on or let's rest this player. We are just going to have to go all out. Not all out to the point of injuring players. I'll be curious to see how Claire Polkinghorn, for example, can back up after back-to-back games in that heat. Um, that concerns me a bit. But circumstances have kind of dictated this, right? We had to beat New Zealand in that first game. Like there was no question about we had to get three points. So we had to go all out in that game. Sweden was clearly an opportunity. And I think it was justified us going with a strong lineup again because we could have pinched a point. We could have pinched three points. Like, And this team isn't the sort to hold back. I'll be interested to see if there is rotation mentioned before with the defence. I wouldn't be surprised to see Alana Kennedy come straight into defence and start if she's fit because I mentioned before with the height thing um, and whether Lewick drops into midfield then to give us more cover in that sense. I think that might happen. I think changes might be more tactical than necessarily about resting players. We know that they had this gruelling build-up in preparation for this and this is where you see if it can come to fruition. Can these players back up? Are they ready to go? How will, say, Akaya Simon back up after playing back-to-back games, um, given her injury history? I don't know. Like, I think it's it's one where we really do just have to go all out again and try and get something from this game. And whether that hinders us when we come into the knockout phase could happen. But I think they're going to just have to go with who's right. And that said, if a player is gassed, they're clearly not going to be valuable in that sense, against the USA, who are an absolute machine. Like, they are fit, they are clinical, bar that opening game. And bar their 400 offsides against New Zealand, they are just a machine of a team. So our, our players do need to be fit. And I think we're quite lucky in the sense that we have players like Tamiki Yallop and Chloe Legazzo who can run all day, who are options in that sense. Yallop was obviously a lot quieter against Sweden and got brought off, which I think will actually freshen her up for the USA game, the sort of game I think that suits her perfectly. But, yeah, in in conclusion, Angela, I'm not actually sure. I think there may be a couple out of necessity, but there certainly won't just be resting players to look towards the round, uh, sorry, the quarterfinals, because while we are in a reasonable position to qualify, it's no certainty. And if we get a point in this game, basically is. So... (laughs) Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. Sam? Yeah, I mean, you, you've sort of said it perfectly. And I, I actually wrote about rotation in my ESPN uh, column from the back of the game as well. And you could sort of see in the USA-Australia game, I mean, sorry, in the... And you could sort of see in the game last night against Sweden that Australia and Sweden have very different kinds of benches and the extended squad numbers allow both of those teams you know, to, to rotate more players, but it also exposes the lack of depth that I think some teams have and, and the depth that others have over them. And so 
you know, the, the example that I used was Sweden's front line. Um, you know, the, the Black Stenius was on the bench. She was the standout player for Sweden against the USA. Uh, they start, Sweden started uh, Linda Hertig in, in the sort of centre forward position and she was excellent. And then Black Stenius came off the bench and scored another goal. So the two of them being able to rotate in and out of each other's pockets and being a real like-for-like substitutes, I think is a, a real, real strength of theirs. Uh, but we don't quite have that, I don't think, particularly not for Sam Kerr. She's almost irreplaceable, which is kind of annoying <laughs> because we, we rely so heavily on her. Um, but I think it's a similar kind of situation as we were speaking about earlier with the back line. We don't really have like-for-like substitutes in those kinds of areas, which is why we're having this sort of ethical dilemma of do we compromise Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter going forward by bringing them further in because we just don't have players in, who can do like who can do both those things. Um, so yeah, uh, rotation I think is a is a big is a big one. And we saw in 2019 that we had a very similar problem. We weren't really able to rotate players in the ways that we wanted to when we had a couple key injuries, um, and the, the sort of the depth of the quality and uh, it sort of dropped a little bit. So yeah, I mean if we if we do look at the permutations of the table, um, it's it's fairly fairly likely that we're going to go through as one of the the best third placed teams um the only way in which that would not happen is if china beat the netherlands or zambia beat brazil um which i mean anything can happen right this is tournament football but it's kind of unlikely that that's going to be the case so we will probably go through and i wonder if that is going to play into gustafson's choice of particular kinds of players i think there are players who did look quite gassed particularly ivy lewick um she already runs so, so, so much. Uh, but against Sweden, I think that she was just running to the ground and she probably needs a little bit of a rest. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, this is all speculation at this point. I, I would like to think that Tony gives some of the players an opportunity to have a bit of a break because we do, if there is the likelihood that we are going to go through the next round, we also need to think about who we're going to play then and the kinds of players that we're going to need against those kinds of teams. And at this stage, if we do go through to the quarterfinal, we'll either be playing Great Britain or Canada, two very different teams, two very physical teams, teams that you are going to want to field your best 11 against. And so I wonder if that projected future is going to play into uh, his team selection against the USA. And let's be realistic. We're going into this game where no one is going to expect us to win. Like maybe Australians, because love the Matildas, have high expectations. I've only been in the USA once. They are an incredible team. They hit their straps against New Zealand, banged in heaps of goals, could have banged in more. Uh, I don't think people are necessarily expecting us to win. Great if we do. Amazing if we do. We get a point. Fantastic. But the most likely result, you would think, regardless of what lineup we put out, USA probably going to win. Like... <laughs> That is how you have to look at it, right? If you went on the balance of probabilities, USA win, most likely, then probably a draw, then Australia win. Like, and if we throw everything in and players get injured and players are gassed and we go through, then it's hard luck if we do the same and then we miss out. That's the way things fall. Like, to an extent, our destiny is in our own hands, but then that we are also relying on how other results play out. So, so it is a difficult one. At the end of the day, you still don't want players getting injured. You don't want to be putting out gas players. I think we both mentioned before, Sam, if you put out Ivy Lewick and she is not right, she'll get run off her feet. And 
that's going to contribute to us losing the game. <laughs> if you play players who are right to go, who can go and go and go, that should put us in a, in a better position. So it, it's a fine balancing act. It's you want to put out a strong lineup. And I think Tony and his coaching staff would back in a lot of these players that we saw um, that maybe haven't been used so much. I think Chloe Legazzo is an easy example just because we know she can run. Tamiki Allop got used less. Like these are players that we know have the engines can be brought in, can do a job. So it's it's a difficult one. At the end of the day, you've got to back in your structures, but I wouldn't want to be making these decisions. Um, I think it's just going to be they'll see how certain players pull up and if they're right, throw them into the fray. But if they're not, is it always worth the risk? Against some teams, it might be worth gambling on players who are at 70%, but against a team as well-drilled and as fit, and as menacing as the USA, sometimes you might just have to go with the, the fitter player that you know can go. So, yeah, don't envy them making these decisions. Don't envy these players coming up against the US that just got made angry by losing the first game. Should be a belter, though, I think, Tuesday night. It is sure to be an absolute cracker. I think we'll leave it there, but we just want to do a quick boot because we haven't done a boot in a while and something really boot-worthy happened during this game. So I'm going to defer to Sam because she was a victim of this here very boot. I was a victim of this boot uh, and a lot of other people listening to this episode were probably a victim of this boot. And this boot is dedicated to the 7 Plus app. I was watching the game on my laptop, um, on the desktop version of the app, And just before Sam Kerr scored Australia's first goal, uh, Channel 7 asked us to switch to a different channel. And that was the same case, I think, on the the televisions as well. And particularly for Victorians who had to change across 7 to 7 mate and then the OG Channel 7 uh, main channel. And it was to the point where, for me, experiencing already very dodgy, practically theoretical NBN connections at this point, uh, it took me a solid five minutes to get the channel back up and running again because me and the rest of the country were having to do the same thing, to switch from one channel on, on the app to the other. And obviously Channel 7 servers or whatever couldn't handle it and so we missed a, a whole bunch of really important stuff. So that wasn't super fun and I couldn't help but noticing before the game as well uh, as people were wanting to watch the the other games that had kicked off earlier, there was a lot of confusion trying to navigate the app and trying to find the games that were actually available. Um, there were a couple of times I clicked sort of in various spots thinking that it was going to be there, but it wasn't. So just like, like it just feels so easy to fix this stuff. Just make your platform easy to, to navigate, make things easily accessible. People want to watch this stuff, right? Like after the Australia-New Zealand game, there was a stat that was posted by Football Australia saying 600,000 people watched this game. It was probably more than that, I think. How much was it, Harry? It was 916,000 yeah. Australians tuned in. Like, how do you not cater to this massive audience? Sorry to bounce off you here, Sam. But like, no, please. Nine, nearly a million people have tuned in. I know that the Olympics is huge and it wasn't football being the only thing taking centre stage. But the Matildas are like clearly, if not the, one of the most loved teams, playing a huge game, prime time, you know, sort of 6.30pm on a, on a Saturday. Like... Just keep it on one channel. Or if you're going to expect people to flick channels, why not have a sort of overlap time? It would literally be like 
And here comes the footy. So switch over to 7-2 now because 7-8 is about to have Melbourne versus the Bulldogs. And then you're on 7-2. Like, okay, we're good. We're good. Now on to Channel 7. And you're like, why didn't you just pick one of these channels in the first place? Like, just keep it on 7-2 the whole time or have it on 7 the whole time. Like, I know that they have the news and obviously we are in Brony time. So that would, you know, you can understand not having it on main channel 7 the whole time. But why not just consistently keep it on 7-2 and give people the option to change over? Oh, it was just very frustrating. And, yeah, it was frustrating, as you mentioned earlier, um, Sam, trying to watch earlier games. We were trying to watch the uh, the Chile-Canada game and we couldn't actually get through till about uh, 35, 40 minutes in. My, my partner's from Chile and I think the line was no es justo, as in it's not fair. <laughs> we could no es justo channel seven. So it's it was frustrating. It got fixed to be fair, and we actually managed to watch all the other games. But I think it's a bit of teething issues with some of the app. But the main issue is the having to switch between channels for that Matilda's game. Make it as easy as possible for people to watch this, to make to let people tune in, to enjoy the game, because people were fanging for it. We're talking pre-pod about how many texts, Sam, we got from friends or family who aren't Matilda's nuffies by any means, but were watching because they were the must-watch event. Yeah. Why make it hard? Exactly. Make it as right? easy like as this, possible. The Matildas are your one of your flagship teams. Like if we think across the entire Australian Olympic team, who are the teams that you know Australia are going to be watching? There's the Matildas, there's the Boomers, there's probably the Olly Roos now after they beat Argentina, and maybe a couple of swimmers, right? Like those are our major events. How do you not do everything in your power as a major mainstream channel to maximise that moment, particularly coming up against a team like Sweden, like a a team that just beat the USA, like the narratives wrote themselves, the drama wrote itself there, you know, and it it just fizzled out. It's just like it's another example to me of just the small structural decisions that are made when it comes to women's football that deflates it that doesn't give it every possible a maximum opportunity to be at its best. Like I have to wonder how many people went through what I went through where I had to struggle to the point where I had to watch the stream on my phone because I couldn't get on with my laptop anymore. And people probably just like turned off because they were like, oh, well, I can't get through two or three minutes of trying like a oh, fucker. Let's just watch something else right? Like that's where you lose viewers. That's where you lose numbers. And we can't have that, particularly not the way that the game continued to roll on. Like it was a really exciting game for neutral fans. So yeah, it was frustrating, but also I I need to sort of temper my frustrations a little bit and keep it in context, which is that when I think back to being a young women's football fan back in the day, the only way that I could watch games was to find an illegal live stream on some dodgy website that probably infected my computer with viruses. And that was all that I could do. And it was probably in a language that I couldn't understand as well. So the fact that we do have games that are this accessible, that are this visible is amazing. And Channel 7 have done as well as they could, I guess, in the circumstances to to bring that to us. So in that sense, you know, it's just, it's, it's a bit of a storm in a teacup, but you know, there's always more that can be done. That's very like when you speak to women's footballers, you know, how they're like, we pioneered and we suffered so you didn't have to. <laughs> sort of like as fans, <laughs> we went through the same thing. You know, we, we, we've done all this so it can be better. I downloaded so much accidental porn for <laughs> you to be here. <laughs> oh, my God. I watched, uh, I watched a stream from someone's phone filming a laptop 
so you could watch in HD. Oh my god. I literally can't follow that up, so I'm going to say a boot, but a contextual boot, and as always, we like to end things on a positive, and I think just across football there is currently no bigger positive than the news that Rebecca Stott is in complete remission from her cancer diagnosis, so we are absolutely stoked to hear that. It was announced only a day or two ago. It was mentioned during the broadcast of the New uh, Zealand-USA game, and it's just it's so good. So congrats to Stoddy for being in remission. It's just the absolute best news. And the best thing was she told Steph Catley just before Australia played and she said, I told Steph and she was wrapped and then she went out and was the best player on the park. So that's very sweet. How good. So good. So, so good. But yes, that's that's another episode done from us. We will have a preview with a special guest from the USA out very, very shortly as well to preview that game, which will be Tuesday, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on what channel? Who knows? We're going to find out eventually. But um, thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, we're on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Apple and Google. We will have an explicit rating for this episode. So apologies for any little children listening to us say fast as fuck boy repeatedly um if you do like what we do though please leave a review and subscribe so you get all the episodes that we're doing straight into your feed we're at the far post pod on all social media so if you want to have a chat to us we are there on insta on facebook on twitter but um until next time go tillies and see us